Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I am your host, Maria Leonard Olson. I am a civil litigation attorney, mentor to women in recovery, author, journalist, and TEDx speaker. Please go on the TEDx website or to my website and like my TEDx talk called Turning Life's Challenges into a Force for Good. Your like will help to move it up in the visibility algorithm and then thereby letting it help other people who have suffered from life's challenges. So I started this podcast three years ago, and I have the privilege of interviewing women who have inspired me in some way. And my guest today is Christine Jacobson, who I met at a conference in Louisville, Kentucky recently for people who have misattributed parentage or are donor conceived. Christine Jacobson believes in the power of reinvention. Her first job was as a nurse at Sloan Kettering Institute in New York City. Within a few years, she embraced her passion of performing and switched jobs to appear in the original Broadway production of 42nd Street. However, despite eight years on stage, the unpredictable income of a performing artist inspired her next career change. Christine obtained a master's degree in mental health counseling, working the next two decades in public education. Recently, Christine discovered that she is a biracial woman. A DNA test revealed that her biological father was black, which engaged her to write the book called Dancing Around the Truth a memoir chronicling how she adapted to her new ethnicity and misattributed parentage. She has appeared on multiple podcasts, YouTube videos, The Wall Street Journal, WLRN, The Public Storyteller, and Insider.com regarding her DNA surprise. You can learn more about her at christinefromqueens.com or follow her on Instagram and Facebook. All of this is in the show notes. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much, Maria. It's so such an honor to be invited onto your podcast. Good to see you again, too. <laughs> you too. And I, too, discovered through a commercial or consumer DNA test that my father who raised me is not my biological father. What prompted you to take a DNA test and which one did you take? The first test I took was with Ancestry.com. And what prompted me was a half a century before I took the test, my mother had been forced to reveal a secret that she had been keeping that she wasn't sure who my biological father was. And when I went to my biological father to ask him, I'm not my biological father, when I went to my birth certificate father to ask him, you know, is this true what she's saying? He said, no, it's ridiculous. You look too much like my mother for that to be true. And he's, that was it. We just dismissed it. And we never talked about it again as a family for all of these years. And they went to their graves without me ever knowing what the truth was. So with the ubiquity of at-home DNA tests and the low cost, I thought, well, 
let me do a DNA test. So many of my friends had been doing DNA tests. And when I got the results back, I didn't match with anybody close, but it did show that I had 25% West African ethnicity. And for our listeners, Christine looks very white. I mean, there is not, no one would guess that she has West African ancestry. So sorry to interrupt, but go on. Yeah, no, no problem. I'm glad when you interrupt, it helps me stay on track. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so that was a surprise. I was okay, well, that maybe then what my mother had said might've been true because my mother had said something to the effect that um, your biological father might be a light-skinned dancer from the Bahamas. So, but not connecting with any relatives, I just kind of, again, put it on the back burner. By the way, I'm very, very good at denial. Mm, aren't we I all? Feel like I have a PhD in denial. Yeah. And I was able to just let it sit there. But one thing that just kept picking at my brain was that I realized medically, I was missing something. Medically, I had always been thinking of my birth certificate father's medical history. And I realized, oh, well, that's not the truth. And then I heard about 23andMe that they did the, um, like a genetic profile of diseases that you might be susceptible to. And so I, when I did 23andMe, I matched with a first cousin. And, and from that point on, I just did a lot of research and a lot of detective work, and I was able to put a lot of pieces together. And what was the response or reaction by your, uh, both your social family and your biological family? The biological family, the that first cousin, she was, she initially responded to my messaging within the 23andMe app um, and said, oh yeah, well, I guess that my, she said, my uncle was a dancer from the Bahamas. So that must be who your biological father is. And then she stopped communicating with me and it was extremely frustrating. So my, my, my relationship with the new biological family has gone up and down. I did meet a half sister and we were developing a relationship and unfortunately she died. So it has been a a mixed blessing. It's wonderful to know the truth, but I haven't had the warm embrace, I guess that I was hoping for. My social family consists of my husband and my son And my son really was the person who asked me very penetrating questions about the way I was thinking about the whole process, the way that I was thinking about this new ethnic part of myself that I hadn't been aware of. And uh, also my like fever to get to know biological relatives. And, and, and he would often ask me, well, well, is blood really all that matters in this situation, isn't it? Who raised you and who you're spending time with now that's more significant than chasing down rabbit holes, trying to find half brothers and sisters that you know probably don't want to have anything to do with you. I mean, I am 70 and, and um, some of those siblings were that same age as well or older. Yeah, yeah, well, you don't look 70 at all. 
<laughs> Gosh, I uh, suspect that your West African ethnicity is helping you, is keeping you from aging. <laughs> yes, people do say that. Wow. <laughs> you know, that uh, cliche, black don't crack. That's what people say to me, you know, when they find out how old I am. Right, right. But thank oh you. Gosh. Yeah. So I suspect that this revelation really affected your self-identity. What can you say about that? It, it was very, very difficult. Very hard to, to th I had always thought of myself as 100% Danish because both my parents were Danish. And now, you know, I was, the ethnicity estimate was coming up with like 20%. And because I really couldn't get answers from anybody about what had happened and um, it just, it really threw a monkey wrench in terms of how I thought of myself ethnically, but also how I thought of myself as a Jacobson, which is my birth certificate father's name. And you know, what does this mean now? Does it mean that the years that I spent with him didn't have meaning? At some point, I was very angry at the Danish and I wanted to just throw out the Danish and and, and throw out any obligation that I thought I had to the Jacobson heritage. It was it was very confusing. And, and writing was the way that I worked my way out of it. I'd always been a journal keeper. I still do keep a journal. And um, the writing was just the way that helped me make clarity, make sense of how I look at myself. And yeah, it's, it's just really been an eye opener. But that's like what I consider to be my next um, career, if I were going to have a career of it, but my next goal in life and how I keep myself happy and sane is to write mm -hmm. and to share what's happening with me in the hope that it'll resonate with others. And, and that's what's been happening. And, and that's very, very validating. And, and I'm happy to be able to do that for other people. Oh, you mentioned journaling and writing uh, and sharing with others as ways you helped process the surprise do you have other suggestions for our listeners? Because this is becoming more and more common as people take DNA tests and people are shocked. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anyone five years ago that this had happened to. Uh, I was beside myself. I didn't know where to start. Yes, I understand. And for me too, it was five years ago and I couldn't find any information and, and people would give me uh, kind of platitudes, you know, well, if your dad was a good dad, it doesn't really matter that you've discovered that you have this biological father out there. Um, medical professionals would say really stupid things when I would tell them and, you know, because I was telling them because I thought it was relevant for my health care. Um, so it was yeah, it, it was very difficult. It felt very alone. And I think now there's a lot more information out there. There are a lot of support groups on Facebook, which has been hugely helpful for me. And 
I see some research articles coming out. There are more therapists that are aware of the, the unique trauma that we go through. And all of that has helped me feel more normal and like I'm part of a community of people that we've gone through this same thing. We're survivors. And that's been helpful for me. And I, I would encourage your listeners, if anybody's had this experience, to to get into those kind of support situations because it's just really tough going it alone and feeling lonely in and isolated because family is supportive to an extent, your social family or your immediate family, and they just don't know. There's so many so many complex reactions to what we've experienced that's really difficult for people that haven't had that experience to understand. And I think that that's one part of my mission too, is to try to bring awareness to the general public of how this affects us, how being adopted, how being donor conceived, how being finding out that you had a misattributed parentage, how, how we react to it and, and how they can be supportive. So true. And as I mentioned in the intro, we met at a conference. There must have been, well, there were hundreds of people at this conference. What Can you share a takeaway you got from attending that conference? The key takeaway for me is, is about that, being able to bring to the general public more awareness of of these issues, these complexities. For example, in the adopted adoption world, I never really thought about the perspective of birth mothers. Mm. I think I've always had a, oh, she gave up the child because she just couldn't, she just couldn't handle it. She just wasn't gonna be able to afford it, so on and so forth. But in reality, I think a lot of women are coerced and are manipulated into giving their children up for adoption. And that that's a perspective that I hadn't really considered, nor. And so we, we watched that uh, preview of a documentary that they're hoping to make in the future. And and those mothers suffer and they suffer for decades and they they look for their children as well. So it's look for the children that they gave up for adoption. It's it's very, you know, it's it's a very unique, very different world right now with the advent of DNA testing. I think that really has cracked open this world. Yes, so true. I also was not in the mindset of considering the people who uh, who gave up their children for adoption or the those who were donors. I just always pictured the donors to be poor students who were just trying to make a buck and then are surprised decades later to find out how many children they helped conceive. When I got off of the plane, I was asking at the information desk about transportation to the hotel and found another conference attendee and he and I shared a cab to the hotel and he was a donor and an adoptive parent. And he shared a real some really interesting perspectives that I just hadn't considered. 
like with anything else, like in the LGBT community, if you don't know anyone who is trans, maybe you have some fears around that, or you don't know what to say, or you feel intimidated or whatever, but it's that one-on-one -on -one personal sharing of experiences as you do that really helps to bridge these divides in our society. So I thank you for your work. Your, your book is excellent. And um, I don't, I mean, it, you have a really interesting story to me too, because you don't appear biracial at all. And that must come with its own set of, of strange feelings and inconsiderate comments by people. So what does it mean to you now that you know you're biracial? Yeah, it, it really has been a very deep dive into thinking about being biracial or multicultural. Um, I had to do a lot of research about African-American history and, and my parents, I always thought were extremely progressive and, you know, we supported the Civil Rights Act and, and my mother was crying hysterically when Martin Luther was shot, Martin Luther King was shot. Um, and yet I discovered that I had internalized all this racism mm. over the years. And I know I thought I was one of the, the good white people. And it turns out that I harbor as much racism in my mind or or biases as as a lot of other people and that was a, a hard pill to swallow but ultimately it, it felt validating to be able to recognize it in myself and there was a split because how can i be racist against myself and and that was the difficulty of living in two worlds that i sometimes don't feel like I fit in either world yeah. and yeah and made I a lot of mistakes sure. I made a lot of mistakes of like you know misappropriation putting on you know African garb and and head wraps and and you know people telling me well you can't wear that you know you're you're not African you're, you're not black you can't wear those clothes that's appropriation so and then me thinking about that, like, is that true? Because if my father was was half black and, you know, I'm a quarter or whatever, doesn't, doesn't that give me the right to also want to embrace my heritage, which is all I really was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of mixed feelings in that arena that, that persist even to today. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I bet this will be a lifelong um journey with ups and downs and understanding breakthroughs it how can it not be yeah yeah exactly you know i wanted to go back to um one thing we were talking about with the donor conceived because i have a dear friend he's gay and he was telling this story last night he calls me his his fairy godmother mm -hmm. and it, his story is that um 30 years ago you know he wanted to make sure that um, his his heritage, his legacy was going to be in the world. And so he donated his sperm for that reason. And he read my book and he decided he was going to go and get DNA tested. And he found two sons that he was not aware of. And one of them uh, made him a grandfather, just had a baby. 
and he's so happy to be connected with them it they they want to be connected with him i mean it's not all lovey-dovey and you know come stay with us forever but they do get together he does get to see his grandson and and i was just so happy that you know my book had that kind of an impact on him that an impetus to get him to go and and do that dna test and find those sons so it's yeah it's and it's his perspective i don't think i would have thought of as a donor before mm -hmm. yeah and, and, and now you know we're seeing that there's there's other sides to the story indeed indeed yeah. and your book at some has had very beautiful reviews about people talking about the racial aspect about someone who took a test maybe it's the per same person with whom you're speaking and found two sons and yeah you've you've really captured the attention and imagination and consideration of so many people are, who are touched by your words and well i also since we're we've spent most of the time talking about your book which i love and which is why i wanted you on the show I also have found out that you were not only a Broadway actor, but also on the screens. So please share what shows were you on? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I was in a movie called Offbeat. It, it's 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 around. I did make it almost 40 years ago. So you'd mm -hmm. have to search pretty hard. Mm -hmm. I met my husband on a movie called Endless Love. With Brooke Shields? Yes. Oh, I loved Shields. that movie. Yeah. Well, everybody thinks it's Blue Lagoon. Uh, everybody thinks I'm talking about Blue Lagoon, but mm -hmm. it's it's Endless Love. And uh, numerous soap operas, um, Rachel, uh, Fort Apache, the Bronx. I was in Fort Apache, the Bronx, which was a Paul Newman movie. So some of the movies that were big around the 1980s. That must but have been a fun I, life. It was a very fun life. And at the age of 35, I realized, well, if I want to have a child, I think I better start now. And so I did. And then I didn't want to raise a child in New York City. And so we moved out outside of New York City, about an hour and a half outside of New York City. And, and I was a stay-at-home mom. But I also recognized that that was not not a healthy thing for me to do. I needed to have some kind of plan in the event that something happened to my husband. That was, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm one husband away from a welfare line. That's how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. So I, and I wasn't going to do any more show business. It was just too much to travel back and forth into New York City. So I went back to school and I started a new life as a mental health counselor, school counselor in a public school. And I was able to be on my son's schedule and and I could do that for the next 20 years and got a nice little pension for that. And, and that was wonderful and I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the arts in many different forms. I feel like I've done the performing aspect and 42nd Street and on films. And then I did the healing aspect with mental health counseling. And I was a nurse for a brief period of time. So I feel like I have 
reinvented myself many times whenever yeah. it is necessary to do so. Yes. Yes, you are very dynamic. It's incredible. And I am looking at the cast from Endless Love. Did you get to meet Tom Cruise and James Spader, two guys I had crushes on in my youth? <laughs> I don't think they were on set when I was shooting. I was working. I worked about two weeks. I was Brooke Shields' body double. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Not many people can say that. That's right. <laughs> I would encourage the listeners also to go on Christine's blog on her website, Christine from Queens, because she covers a lot of interesting territory in her blog. And... Um, it is a good compliment to her book. So definitely take a look at that. And one thing that I like to ask all guests on this show is what do you do, Christine, to become your best version? Well, I, as I said, I love to journal. I love to write. And that's something that is, is almost like morning pages. I need to do that in order to get my head on straight. I love hiking. I love to be in nature. I love yoga, dancing. I have a very strong Al-Anon support group that is super important to me. And then being with friends and family is just, and dancing, of course, how could I leave that out? Dancing is just the key for me to feel like I'm connected to my biological family and to my roots. That's that's what yeah. I really love to do. Did yeah. your dancing activity increase after finding out you're from a lineage, not just your father, but your grandfather of dancers? I did. I Once I found a Zumba class mm -hmm. and my teacher is from Nigeria and he's such a fabulous dancer and he only plays Afro beats. And I'm in heaven. I absolutely adore being around him and dancing with him. And it's it's just so wonderful. And, and it's the kind of music that most of my friends who are white are not interested in. You know, they're not interested in Hispanic music. They're not in Latin music. They're not interested in in anything ethnic. And I just... I'm so drawn to that. So it's uh, it's a wonderful feeling to to be with people that I can be comfortable enjoying that kind of music and and that kind of dancing. Yes, it's beautiful, and I hope that it will continue to unleash in you a connection to your West African heritage. Thank you so much. So please do yourself a favor and check out her website christine jacobson and her social media which is also listed in the show notes thank you christine so much for sharing your experience with our listeners and helping us to consider such things as changing pivoting in one's in one's uh, aspirations and career and uh, i really appreciate you Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Maria. Have a wonderful day.